This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Puddenhead Wilson by Mark Twain Chapter 3 Roxy Plays a Shrewd Trick Whoever has lived long enough to find out what life is knows how deep a debt of gratitude we owe to Adam, the first great benefactor of our race. He brought death into the world. Puddenhead Wilson's Calendar Percy Driscoll slept well the night he saved his house minions from going down the river, but no wink of sleep visited Roxy's eyes. A profound terror had taken possession of her. Her child could grow up and be sold down the river. The thought crazed her with horror. If she dozed and lost herself for a moment, the next moment she was on her feet, flying to her child's cradle to see if it was still there. Then she would gather it to her heart and pour out her love upon it in a frenzy of kisses, moaning, crying, and saying, "'They shan't! Oh, they shan't! Your poor mammy will kill you first!' Once, when she was tucking him back in his cradle again, the other child nestled in its sleep and attracted her attention. She went and stood over it a long time, communing with herself. "'What has my po' baby done that he couldn't have your luck? He hain't done nothing. God was good to you. Why weren't he good to him? They can't sell you down the river. I hates your pappy. He hain't got no heart. For niggers he hain't anyways.' I hates him, and I could kill him. She paused a while, thinking. Then she burst into wild sobbings again and turned away, saying, Oh, I got to kill my child. They ain't no other way. Killin' him wouldn't save the child from goin' down the river. Oh, I got to do it. Your poor mammy's got to kill you to save you, honey. She gathered her baby to her bosom now and began to smother it with caresses. Mammy's got to kill you. How can I do it? But your mammy ain't gwine to desert you. No, no, dad, don't cry. She gwine with you. She gwine to kill herself, too. Come along, honey. Come along with mammy. We gwine to jump in the river. Then troubles of this world is all over. They don't sell poor niggers down the river over yonder. She stared toward the door, crooning to the child and hushing it. Midway she stopped suddenly. She had caught sight of her new Sunday gown, a cheap curtain calico thing, a conflagration of gaudy colors and fantastic figures. She surveyed it wistfully, longingly. Hain't ever wore it yet, she said, and it's just lovely. Then she nodded her head in response to a pleasant idea and added, No, I ain't gwine to be fished out 
with everybody looking at me and this miserable old Lindsay Wolsey. She put down the child and made the change. She looked in the glass and was astonished at her beauty. She resolved to make her death toilet perfect. She took off her handkerchief turban and dressed her glossy wealth of hair like white folks. She added some odds and ends of rather lurid ribbon and a spray of atrocious artificial flowers. Finally, she threw over her shoulders a fluffy thing called a cloud in that day, which was of a blazing red complexion. Then she was ready for the tomb. She gathered up her baby once more. But when her eye fell upon its miserably short little gray tow-linen shirt, and noted the contrast between its pauper shabbiness and her own volcanic eruption of infernal splendors, her mother heart was touched, and she was ashamed. No, darling, Mammy ain't gwine to treat you so. De angels is gwine to mire you just as much as they does your Mammy. Ain't gwine to have em puttin' de hands up fo de eyes and sayin' to David and Goliath and dem yother prophets, dat child is dressed too delicate for dis place. By this time she had stripped off the shirt. Now she clothed the naked little creature in one of Thomas a Beckett's snowy long baby gowns with its bright blue bows and dainty flummery of ruffles. There, now you's fixed. She propped the child in a chair and stood off to inspect it. Straight away her eyes begun to widen with astonishment and admiration, and she clapped her hands and cried out, Why, it do beat all! I never knowed you was so lovely. Marcy Tommy ain't a bit puttier, not a single bit. She stepped over and glanced at the other infant. She flung a glance back at her own, then one more at the heir of the house. Now a strange light dawned in her eyes, and in a moment she was lost in thought. She seemed in a trance. When she came out of it, she muttered, "'When I was a-washin' him in the tub yesterday, he own pappy asked me which of em was hisn. She began to move around like one in a dream. She undressed Thomas a Beckett, stripping him of everything, and put the tow-linen shirt on him. She put his coral necklace on her own child's neck. Then she placed the children side by side, and after earnest inspection she muttered, now who would believe clothes could do de like a dat? Dog my cats if it ain't all I can do to tell t'other from which, let alone as pappy. She put her cub in Tommy's elegant cradle and said, Use young Marcy Tom from dis out, and I got to practice and get used to memberin' to call you dat, honey, or I's gwine to make a mistake sometime and get us both into trouble. Da, now you lay still and don't fret no mo, Marcy Tom. Oh, thank de Lord in heaven, you's saved. 
use saved. They ain't no man can ever sell Mammy's poor little honey down the river now. She put the air of the house in her own child's unpainted pine cradle, and said, contemplating its slumbering form uneasily, "'I's sorry for you, honey. I's sorry. God knows I is. But what can I do? What could I do? Your pappy would sell him to somebody sometime, and then he'd go down the river show, and I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't stand it. She flung herself on her bed and began to think and toss, toss and think. By and by she sat suddenly upright, for a comforting thought had flown through her worried mind. Tain't no sin. White folks has done it. It ain't no sin. Glory to goodness, it ain't no sin. Day's done it. Yes, and day was the biggest quality and the whole bylin too. Kings! She began to muse. She was trying to gather out of her memory the dim particulars of some tale she had heard some time or other. At last she said, Now I's got it. Now I member. It was dat old nigger preacher dat told it de time he come over here from Illinois and preached in de nigger church. He said, Dey ain't nobody can save his own self. Can't do it by faith. Can't do it by works. Can't do it no way at all. Free grace is the only way, and that don't come from nobody but just the Lord. And he can give it to anybody he please, saint or sinner. He don't care. He do just as he's a mind to. He select out anybody that suit him and put on another one in his place, and make the first one happy forever and leave the other one to burn with Satan. The preacher said it was just like they'd done in England one time long time ago. The queen, she left her baby lying round one day and went out calling, and one of the niggers round about that place that was most white, she come in and see that child laying round, and tuck and put her own child's clothes on the queen's child, and put the queen's child's clothes on her own child, and then left her own child laying round, and tuck and toted the queen's child home to the nigger quarter. And nobody ever found it out, and her child was the king by and by, and sold the queen's child down the river one time when they had to settle up the estate. Down now, the preacher said it his own self, and it ain't no sin, cause white folks done it. They done it. Yes, they done it. And not only just common white folks nother, but the biggest quality they is in a whole bilin. Oh, I's so glad I member about that. She got light-hearted and happy and went to the cradles and spent what was left of the night practicing. She would give her own child a light pat and say humbly, Lay still, Marsa Tom. Then give the real Tom a pat and say with severity, Lay still, Chambers. Does you want me to take something to you? As she progressed with her practice, she was surprised to see how steadily and surely the awe which had kept her tongue reverent and her manner humble toward her young master 
was transferring itself to her speech and manner toward the usurper, and how similarly handy she was becoming in transferring her motherly curtness of speech and peremptoriness of manner to the unlucky heir of the ancient house of Driscoll. She took occasional rests from practicing, and absorbed herself in calculating her chances. They'll sell these niggers today for stealin' de money, then they'll buy some more that don't know de chillin'. So that's all right. When I takes de chillin' out to get the air, the minute I's round de corner, I's gwine to gom damn mouths all round with jam. Then they can't nobody notice days changed. Yes, I gwine to do dat till it's safe, if it's a year. They ain't but one man that I's afeard of, and that's Puddin'Head Wilson. They calls him a Puddin'Head and says he's a fool. My land, that man ain't no more fool than I is. He's the smartest man in this town, lessen it's Judge Driscoll, or maybe Pem Howard. Blame that man, he worries me with dim ornery glasses of his'n. I believe he's a witch. But never mind. I's gwine to happen round out one of these days and let on that I reckon he wants to print a chillin's fingers again. And if he don't notice they has changed, I bound they ain't nobody gwine to notice. And then I's safe show. But I reckon I'll tote along a horseshoe to keep off the witch work. The new negroes gave Roxy no trouble, of course. The master gave her none, for one of his speculations was in jeopardy, and his mind was so occupied that he hardly saw the children when he looked at them, and all Roxy had to do was to get them both into a gale of laughter when he came about. Then their faces were mainly cavities exposing gums, and he was gone again before the spasm passed and the little creatures resumed a human aspect. Within a few days, the fate of the speculation became so dubious that Mr. Percy went away with his brother, the judge, to see what could be done with it. It was a land speculation, as usual, and it had gotten complicated with a lawsuit. The men were gone seven weeks. Before they got back, Roxy had paid her visit to Wilson and was satisfied. Wilson took the fingerprints, labeled them with the names and with the date, October the 1st, put them carefully away, and continued his chat with Roxy, who seemed very anxious that he should admire the great advance in flesh and beauty which the babes had made since he took their fingerprints a month before. He complimented their improvement to her contentment and as they were without any disguise of jam or other stain, she trembled all the while, and was miserably frightened, lest at any moment he... But he didn't. He discovered nothing, and she went home jubilant, and dropped all concern about the matter permanently out of her mind. End of chapter 3